next on the OHIO podcast. We answer your fan-submitted questions. We reveal the Mount Rushmore of the 2010s. We also reveal our OHIO podcast, Big Ten preseason first and second teams. And we continue our two-a-days with the Maryland and Iowa previews. And that all starts right now. It's so easy to be average. You know it as well as I know it. It takes a little something to be special, Don. It takes a little something special to be a great player. We don't have enough great players. To hell with that! We don't want to coach average. I don't want to be around you. Why be around average? Be proud of our young people in the classroom, in the community, and most especially in 310 days in Ann Arbor, Michigan, on the football field. Three things. Number one, the team that hits the hardest and the longest, the team that starts the fastest, and the team is too damn smart to make mistakes. If you take it to them, if you don't make mistakes, and you keep taking it to them, there's no question who wins. Buckeye Podcast, by fans, for the fans, where they hate that team up north as much as you do. It's time for the OHIO Podcast. OHIO! Welcome back to the OHIO Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Buckeye Boggs, recording live from beautiful North Central Ohio, where I'm joined with my, by my co-host, that is Chris Wiles, the wild man from Marion, Ohio. Chris, how goes it? It's hot, Eric. It's real hot. I'm ready for football season. I'm ready for hoodies and chili and, you know, just, you know, not sweating. I am I done feel with summer heat. I am finished with it. It's over. Well, the good news is, Chris, is my stepson started football this weekend. So the calendar, when it turns over to August, it gets uh, it becomes a daily thing. And uh, that's that's true for Ohio State as well, as they will – be starting camp here in just a week and a half, I believe it is. Of course, this upcoming week is the Big Ten uh, Media Days, which we will be talking about next weekend, Chris. But uh, we have a great show planned for all of you today, so uh, I'm sure you're all going to enjoy this. If you're not satisfied, yeah, go ahead, Chris. Can I just say, I really love the first show of the year when we start diving into questions. It's it, it just feels like football for me. It does, doesn't it? It just feels like we, we've turned the page. If you're not satisfied with pickup games and unranked matches, chances are you're aiming higher than most. At Spire, you'll train to be the best. Whether you're drawn to the pool, track, map, basketball, quarter, gaming controller, we provide the training you need to achieve your dream. Make our facilities your home or take advantage of free transportation services. Are you ready to unlock your potential? Visit SpireCleveland.com today. You mentioned it, Chris. We've got uh, fan-submitted questions for this podcast. We're not going to waste any more time, but I will say this. According to ListenNotes.com, Chris, the OHIO podcast is ranked in the top 10% globally, not just the U.S., globally, out of uh, looks like 2,891,560 podcasts in the world. We're in the top 10%, Chris. I would like to take a moment to pat you on the back 
feel free. I'll turn around. You can pat me on the back as well. But most importantly, we want to pat all of you, our listeners, on the back for helping make this podcast uh, one of the best globally. Top 10%. I'll take it, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, you think we might have the Sarge to thank for any of that? You think he got those guys in his uh, unit listening to us a little bit? Yeah, Sergeant MVP Aaron Brown, he is the man. He is the reason why most people listen to us, other than the fact that Chris and I are just, our voices are, are like milk chocolate. I know that. But, well, you uh, know, Aaron is just so knowledgeable, <laughs> and, and Eric, we're just so entertaining. There it is. We're your entertainment. We're the Stooges. <laughs> hey, guys, we, we've got tons of questions. We asked for some uh, preseason questions from all of you listeners, and we got some really good ones. Let's just dive into some of these, Chris, because we've got one heck of a show planned up and lined up for today. All right, Brian King from the top, our buddy Brian. How long will the defense take for us to really see the difference? We have every reason to believe we will be better, but we but will we really see it in game number one, Chris? Well, first of all, thank you, Brian, because let me tell you, Brian made sure we had no shortage. He was on a roll today. So that's okay. That's great. Um, Brian, I'll tell you, I think that we do see a difference game one. We are going to see a marked improvement versus Notre Dame. Now, let me just say, they are still going to make some mistakes. They're going to have some growing issues. But I do think we see a much more aggressive approach to the game and a marked improvement in our first home season win. I, I think you will see in some improvement. Here's where I think you will see the improvement from day number one. I think this defense is going to be much more aggressive than what we saw the last couple of years. I think you're going to see a much more um, aggressive and hungry defensive line. And as we have seen in the past, Chris, when the defensive line is playing well, that is going to improve the second and third level of our defenses as well. And, of course, Jim Knowles has a much more um, safety-driven, defensive-back-driven defense than what we are accustomed to seeing. And so I believe that there's definitely an opportunity there, uh, given the fact that I believe our best athletes on the defense outside of the um, – the super softs, shall we call them, up front on the defensive line. Outside of those four, I believe the best athletes on our defense are all in the defensive backfield, and I believe that Jim Knowles is gonna is gonna put them in a position to be successful and to use and utilize that athleticism on a defensive side. I don't. I'm I'm anticipating the Notre Dame quarterback not knowing where. That where in the heck the blitz is coming from, but it's coming and it's coming consistently come game one. I think that'll carry us through for the be beginning of the season. And as we get into Big Ten play later in the year, I do anticipate this defense being much better and much more sound than what we saw in previous years. All right, let's move down to Scott Rogers and Brad Ober uh, Ol Olberding, uh, their questions because they're they are related and very similar. I am listening and reading a lot, and I am seeing and hearing the area on the defense that has to make a big step this year, and that is the linebackers, says Scott Rogers. Do you believe this is the unit that will have to make the biggest difference on how this D plays this year? Brad Olberding's question, linebackers, linebackers, linebackers. Who starts, and how are, how are the true freshmen looking? Let's start with uh, Scott's question first, Chris. 
Do you believe this is the unit talking about the linebackers that will have to make the biggest difference on how this D plays this year? Yeah, this is the thing. I think they have a lot of room for improvement. Um, but I thought they were starting to come around towards the back, the, the end of last season and playing pretty solid. For me, Eric, I still think, and you mentioned it earlier, I think that key to the team's success is going to be the guys up front getting to the quarterback, making plays in the backfield for losses. Uh, I think if the defensive line is disrupting the quarterback and making plays in the backfield, it becomes easier, as you said, for the linebackers, for the defensive backs. Uh, so to me, while I think the linebackers have the most room for improvement, I think that the defensive line is the team that has to play at the top of their game across the, the whole group for this team to be a really successful defense. I agree. I agree with you. But I also feel like we have some veteran linebackers now that we can kind of lean on a little bit. Steel yeah, Chambers, Tommy Eichenberg. Um, I'm going to throw Reed Carrico's name in there. He's getting a lot of play. And let's not forget. Oh, yeah. Well, is he is he hurt again? Was he the one who got hurt in spring ball? I don't recall. Oh, Mitchell Melton. It was Mitchell Melton. Yes. Mitchell Melton. No, Cody Simon's back. Yes, that's right. Uh, but what about Taraja Mitchell? He's still hanging around. He's still with the team. Well, yeah, he's solid. Yeah, he, he's, he's solid. He's going to be in that too deep somewhere. Right. So, uh, and then let's not forget about uh, Pelé Gautier, the fourth uh, from USC, the former USC transfer. He's still on this team. There's going to be a lot of potential for a couple guys to shine this year. On, and as long as they're consistent and they don't miss tackles, they, they can read the run. Uh, they disrupt the pass and they can blitz. I think we're going to be fine at the linebacker position this year. But you're right, Scott. Um, the, the the linebackers definitely are the unit that need to step up. But here's the thing about this defense: only two plays. They're going to play a four-two-five most of the time, unless we're playing a, a run-heavy uh, team. And so those two linebackers have to be athletic enough to just to just kind of hold their own in the middle. And I think Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg are going to be the two that get the call first. Um, Brad Olberding's question: Who who starts, and how true, and how are the true freshmen looking? There, uh, there you go. I think Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg are the starters come yeah. come the opening. You agree with that, Chris? I do. And as far as the second half of that question, Eric, uh, you know, from what I'm hearing, C.J. Hicks is looking awful good. Probably going to be in line to get some actual playing time during the season here. Mm-hmm. Gabe Powers, I heard, is also impressing. Uh, maybe not as far along as CJ is, but I'll tell you, I, I really think that we got two great young linebackers in waiting who, you know, we can afford to have them sit back and watch a year with, as you said, the veteran leadership we got coming back. True. All right. <clears throat> Brian King, other than the obvious injury potential, how far would we fall if we lose CJ for any significant time? What's what single factor would be most likely to keep us out of the playoff this year? So other than the fact that it would obviously be CJ, what is the one single factor? I would say it would be the fact that our defense um, is still, it's taking them more time to adapt to this new defensive scheme than what we hope for. That is why that is my biggest fear outside of CJ going down with an injury. How about you, Chris? Yeah, I'm with you. I, I actually put two things that could possibly impact it. One, just as you said, the lack of improvement on defense are not coming along as fast as we thought. And two, Eric, 
their own arrogance. Yeah. Okay? You know, that that if we get shocked by somebody, that can hurt us. Mm-hmm. Uh, being overconfident against a team, say, like Maryland, uh, you know, that could, that can cost us. But I really don't see that happening. I think that Day is very good at keeping his kids focused. Uh, so I, I think, like you said, injury is probably our most significant concern because I think the other issues we're going to be okay with. But even with injury, you know, I kind of look at the schedule a little bit, Eric. God forbid something would happen to CJ because I definitely don't want to see that happen. But if if we make it through Notre Dame, I truly believe that I've got confidence in Kyle McCord that he could come in and lead this team up to the last two weeks of the season. Hmm. Now, would we put up the numbers that we had? We would put up under CJ, but no. No, but we would start uh, depending on the run much more, obviously. That, and that's where I was going with this too was. I think that we would have a much more involved run game, even though I think we're going to do that already. It would go even heavier towards the run. Uh, you know, when you got guys like Travion and, and Brian uh, back Evan there, Pryor. Evan yep. Pryor, I mean, we definitely have the flexibility to adjust our game if we have to. But those last two games of the regular season with Maryland and that team up north, those, I think we have to have CJ without a doubt. I still think we can make a push to try to win the Big Ten if we didn't have CJ. I, I, I don't think we would have a chance in the CFP. I, I don't. Um, right. we, have, we have to have a healthy CJ to, to win the national championship. Sammy Poston, our buddy from out west. I firmly believe and feel that this year we are going to go 15-0 and and win the whole shebang. Do y'all feel the same? Also, do you think we'll see an improved defense week one? We got that one question taken care of already, Sammy. So let's take your first one. Do do we feel the Buckeyes will go 15 and 0? Chris, I don't want to spoil our predictions, so I'll just say, uh, I'll, I'll guess I'll, I'll I'll let you say, are you leaning towards Sammy, or do you think maybe you're not leaning that much? Oh, I'm definitely leaning towards Sammy. I. I I have every confidence, and this is the thing, what's going to be the key to it. We know what a tremendous offense we have. We know that I don't think there's another team in the country that can score at the level that we do. And I believe by the end of this season, this is a top 25 defense, and we'll leave it at that. All right, back up to Brian King. Like, Like you said, Chris, he loaded us up with some good questions. We did not finish in the top 80 for fewest penalties last year. We were tied for 81st. Even that team up north finished 20th. Can we get rid of the foolish penalties? Uh, I'll answer your question question with a statement. We better. Um, You don't want to become a team that is known for being undisciplined. And unfortunately, we, we've been a little bit undisciplined when it comes to the penalties, penalty department the last couple seasons. And I think if there's one thing Ryan Day as a head coach needs to button up on, it's making sure these guys are focused from the beginning of a game so that we don't have stupid penalties. We had so many dumb holding penalties and false start penalties in the first quarter alone last year that I'm willing to say that that was probably 20% of those penalties last year were in the first quarter by our offensive line. They've got to come in focused, ready to play. That's my two cents. Chris? And Eric, do you think that a lot of that may have been the fact that even though we had experienced guys, they were playing 
kind of out of position. They were out of position. Absolutely. Yeah. When you have a tackle at a guard, he's trying to shoot off the ball where, you know, the tackle's not trying to get that 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 front step, you know, as much yeah. as a guard is, especially if the guard's going to pull on a running play to the outside. So, yeah, absolutely. There was a lot of so, that last year. Yeah. So this is my thought. I kind of agree with you. I think we're going to improve. Uh, now, this is my my thought process, though. We are still going to commit penalties. We are a, you know, somewhat new and realigned offensive line. We got some returning guys, but even those guys might be sliding from where they were last season. We have a new attitude and more aggressive attitude on defense. We're going to commit some penalties, but I think if this team becomes a top 30 team, and I think that they can, we're going to be just fine. All right, let's uh, let's have some more uh, fun questions here, shall we? All right, uh, let's see. Moving down to, uh, let's go to Eric Osbeck's question. As has anyone heard what insiders are saying about how Knowles is doing on improving the defense? Well, Eric, that depends on which insiders you're talking about. If you talk about if you're talking about the beat writers for Ohio State at say like Letterman Row and Eleven Warriors and the Columbus Dispatch, although the Columbus Dispatch is being very negative on this program lately. Um, I know print media is dying, and I think that that's part of their attitude over there, in my opinion. So, But every article I'm seeing from the Dispatch, Chris, it's so negative about college football in general in Ohio State. Yes. I think those guys need to need to take a chill pill. Anywho, that's my two cents on those guys. But most of the beat writers at Ohio State are very positive on what they're hearing and seeing from Jim Knowles. He won them over from that opening press conference. You could tell the national media likes to point out that when Jim Knowles went to Oklahoma state, they regressed their first year as him at, as the defensive coordinator. And so it really depends on who you're talking to as to the vibe you're getting uh, when it comes to Jim Knowles in this defense, Chris, do you agree or disagree? Let me know, man. I agree with you hundred percent, Eric, as far as the actual, X's and O's of it all. We're not going to know what he's doing because Ryan Day doesn't tell us anything. Jim Knowles isn't going to tell us anything. Uh, but, I mean, like you said, we're hearing positive things from the Ohio State beat writers. Uh, we've all noted, and I think we even saw in that spring game, a more aggressive approach yes. to playing defense. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I think that, you know, obviously we've heard about the increased role of the safeties. As well, how safety driven it's going to be. But we don't know. We're, we're not going to know until we see them on the field against Notre Dame exactly what type of adjustments he's made. Yeah, and Eric was with us at the at the spring game, and we all we all saw that even though they were basically in a base defense and they were playing a very vanilla defense, Jim Knowles was getting all over people on the sidelines. That dude has a high, high expectation, and he has admitted from day one he does not have the um, – uh, he's not been gifted or granted the opportunity to take his time in turning this defense around. He knows he has to do it from, from game one. Yeah. So so he, he understands that just fine. Let's go back up to Brian King here. While we may have the best offense this year, can CJ really win the Heisman with having to share the votes with so much firepower? I'll let you go first, Chris. Okay. So this, this is my take on that. 
else. I do believe CJ is going to win the Heisman this year. I know that we've had some discussions about this, Eric, where you maybe aren't as, as confident about that as I am. Uh, I think that even though we're going to see more of an emphasis on the run game, and I think Henderson's going to have some huge numbers, uh, and you know that Smith and Jigba is going to have big numbers, probably going to break a whole lot of records as we discussed last week. It's only if Stroud gets up the ball. So, for me, I, I think if CJ plays a full season, goes out there, throws for, say, 4,200 yards, 45 touchdowns, and a 73% completion rating, has himself a good TD to interception ratio, and I believe he will do all that, I think he walks away with highs this season. I, I also believe that <laughs> we will have three Buckeyes in the top six of the voting this season. Yes, I disagree, and I think that's the reason why. And I'll tell you, I'm going to give you a little a little tease. And if you've been listening to our podcast, you know my theory here. Um, I believe he will not win the Heisman because I do not believe he has the most votes on this Ohio State team at the end of the year. So there you go. There's my tease. All right. I love this question. William Swisher. William, please <laughs> send us more of these, my man. Will Coach Day keep the beard this season? <laughs> Chris, what do you think? Yay or nay? Is the is the is the rosy cheek assassin gonna have those rosy cheeks covered by a by the black beard? Well, here's my thought, Eric. If he's kept it through this daggone Ohio summer heat, he might as well keep it through the fall. You know, maybe, maybe he's trying not to change anything up as he goes into the season uh, because things are working out. You know, I don't know how things are going down there from his perspective, but uh, you know, yeah, I think he keeps it. All right. I know he's going to keep it. I know he's going to keep it, and here's why. I found out Nina Day likes pirates. <laughs> That's right. Coach Day, is his new nickname is Blackbeard, and he's going to take no prisoners this year. That's so my just answer. to clarify, we have Blackbeard at the helm and uh, Captain Jack on the defensive end, right? That's right. That's right. That's right. You got it. <laughs> All right. Some more great questions. Jason Monk. Will the mitten kittens actually make it to Columbus this time? <laughs> do you think? Okay. This I'm going to change this question slightly. Chris, do you think there will be at some point this season where the the whole COVID thing will will happen again and teams will will cancel games? I can see it happening again. Oh gosh! Please no. I, 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 you know, just because I'm hearing COVID numbers are creeping back up again. Now, this is the thing. <sighs> that being said, I don't think it is nearly as impactful as it was before. As you know, as you know, the strains that we, as we have progressed, have weakened. Um, there's so many more people that uh, have been vaccinated, uh, especially at Ohio State, whether you want to or not. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think if it's still around, it's going to happen. You know, within five to ten years, this is just going to be another flu bug that we just don't even think about. But right now, I think it will impact people. We'll have people have to sit a game, maybe two. Um, whether it happens in Ohio State, I don't know. But you know what? It would It would give hairball an excuse to weasel out because I'll tell you, and this is my thing. You know, I, I, I read this question from Jason. 
And my answer would be to his original question of will they make it to Columbus this time? Not if Harbaugh's smart. <laughs> now, he right. and the fools in Ann Arbor have been talking all kinds of smack after beating the Buckeyes for the second time in, what, 20-plus years? You know, they were a senior-driven team facing a depleted and weakened Ohio State team last year. Many of the guys were suffering from the flu now to the defense of the team and to Ryan Day. He didn't try to play that off as an excuse, but our players did not decide to sit out like the Loserines did the year before. So if Hairball and his new group of lambs come rolling into Columbus come November, I hope he just realizes he's leaving these lambs to slaughter because we got a little vengeance on our minds. Not so much a question, but a statement by the monk. Also, should Jimmy wear depends on November 26th? The Buckeyes are going to kick the beep, beep out of the mitten kittens. <laughs> hashtag Ryan's Day of Reckoning. You need to change that hashtag to Blackbeard's Day of Reckoning, as we've just uh, uh, made up here. Uh, and uh, thank you for these questions, Jason. Jason, had, man, he had a great question that we're actually going to make into a show. We're going to save this one. Yeah, I love that. And yeah, so we're not even going to address it on this show because it's just awesome. We're going to make an entire segment out of it uh, in a week or two. And then, uh, so yeah, Jason, I, uh, I feel you, man. I can't wait for November 26th. Last question. And this is going to transition into some, uh, probably some more talk here in a little bit, as I have a feeling. Brian Lee Oberst, how well do you think JT Barrett will fare as the new coach, as a new offensive coach in the NFL with the Detroit Lions, Chris? Well, you know, I think JT has a fairly high football IQ. Uh, you know, he when when we look back at when he had to, you know, kind of ride the bench for a little while, I think he was of help to Cardale when he was in there. Um, I think he's got the right mentality for coaching. I think he's going to do okay. Now, can he turn around the best that is the Detroit Lions offense? I don't know. But I believe he's got the ability to do pretty well up there. Yeah, and I'll tell you this. I think that this is just uh, his his uh, launching on point or the, the, the door that he needed open for his coaching career. We all knew that his playing career was probably not going to happen beyond college football. He's he's like Tim Tebow. He's a great college uh, football, great college quarterback. But, you know, beyond college, his skill set is not designed for the professional game. Um, that being said, I think he exhibits uh, attributes, Chris, that are, are making of a coach. That video of him pregame in the locker room. Uh, back when he was a senior, that kind of stuff resonated with me. And I saw a future coach right there. Now, will he be a future coach in, um, will he be a future coach in, in college football? My, my inclination is to say, yes, I think his game is going to his coaching career, much like his game is going to is going to translate to the college level much more than the NFL just because he can come in at college and say, I was successful here where he can't in the NFL. But I think this is a great uh, launching point for his, his coaching career. I think he'll get some great experience this year. And I would not be surprised if he is not on a, a division one staff next year as like a graduate assistant 
or, you know, like a quarterback's coach probably starting off and then working his way up to offensive coordinator, maybe even eventually a, a head coaching position. But I always love seeing former Buckeyes in the coaching industry, Chris. It's one of my favorite things. Yeah, I agree. And, and I'll tell you, he, like you said, I agree as well. His, his game translates better to the college game uh, where he did have so much success. I think that he has the mentality. He's, he's a motivator. Uh, he is a leader. And I think he has the patience to do very well at the college level. All right. Thank you guys for your questions. We, we really appreciate that. As you can tell, um, we're getting geared up for the 2022 season. I mean, at this point, just about everything we do is going to be about what to, what, what to expect come uh, the beginning of September. But we have one more segment, Chris, that we need to do that really isn't about uh, this upcoming season, but it's been more about former seasons, and that is our Mount Rushmore. We started in the 1940s, which cracks me up, Chris, on social media, how people have not picked up the fact that we're doing it by decade. Every week, yes. someone questions us on why Archie's not on the Mount Rushmore. Right, like, yeah. I've well, Archie it. didn't play in the 1990s, okay, or the, the 2000s, but we got one more decade here, Chris, and we'll have to, I'm sure, answer someone's questions about this this week, too, but from 2010 to 2019, our Mount Rushmore, our last one. Chris, you want to go first? You want me to go first? I'll go first. And I have go a feeling we're going to end up uh, having a discussion about this one. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, this is the decade where our offense really kind of exploded, Eric. I, I believe you have to have a quarterback up there. We had some good ones. You know, obviously, uh, Terrell Pryor wrapped up his playing time in 2010. We had Braxton, uh, you know. Just, I think, the first superstar dynamic player of the decade. Uh, of course, you had Cardale Jones, who had probably the best three-game stretch in, in college football history. Uh, let's not forget Dwayne uh, Haskins, who had best single season of any quarterback that I can remember. But you know what? I got to go with your favorite player here, Eric. I got to go JT Barrett. He leads all Ohio State quarterbacks and passing yards with 9,434. He's the touchdown leader with 104. Yes, he had more years than these other guys, but you know what? The records are still his. Has a respectable 63.5% uh, uh, completion rating, which is fourth all-time for Ohio State. He has three of the top eight single-season uh, passing yard uh, seasons as well. Uh, he ended his career with more wins than any quarterback in Ohio State history at 38. Career winning percentage of 86.4. His eighth all-time in rushing, Eric. He is the Buckeyes' eighth all-time rusher as well. 3,263 yards, 65.3 a game, 5.0 career yard per carry average as a quarterback. And he is uh, fourth in career rushing touchdowns with 43. You know, Barrett, Barrett uh, easily the all-time offensive uh, yards leader at 12,697. Member of the national championship team. He won the Chicago uh, Tribune Silver Football Award in 2016. Three-time winner of the Grease, uh, Greasy Breeze Quarterback of the Year Award. Three times first-team All-Big Ten. A third-team All-American in 2014. Big Ten Freshman of the Year in 2014. 
and the offensive MVP of both the 2016 Fiesta Bowl and the 2017 Cotton Bowl. I believe you got to put JT up there. Do you think I'm going to agree or disagree with you? You know, given your uh, history, I, I'm going to say I want to say disagree, but I almost feel that you're going to agree with me here, Eric. I'm going to agree with you. Now, I know someone just drove off the road who's <laughs> listening to this on their uh, car stereo uh, through Bluetooth when knowing how knowing my uh, disdain for uh, JT Barrett. I shouldn't say disdain, but my my anger well, towards the, yeah, the over the, the over abundance of love he gets is what I guess I should say. But that being said. I cannot deny all the stats that you just threw out there. It's impressive. Now, I understand a lot of it's because of longevity, but you have to take that into account. Let's take Archie Griffin, for instance. A lot of Archie's statistics and his and his uh, records are because he stayed much longer than today's current athlete does at running back. If Ezekiel Elliott or J.K. Dobbins stayed one more year, they would own his records. Right. So you have to take that into account. Longevity is a real thing. And so he's he's got that. In a lot of ways, you know, the only thing he just doesn't have is he wasn't the starting quarterback when they won the national championship. That was Cardale. But given the fact that his longevity, the number of wins he had, you know, he never lost to Michigan, although I can argue I, I can't stand when people say he was 4-0 against Michigan. He really wasn't. I mean, he was he losing. He was, he was losing uh, the football game when Haskins came in and won it for him. Haskins. And he was barely holding on the year he got hurt and Cardale came in. So, uh, you know, despite all that, I agree with you, Chris. JT Barrett deserves to be on the 2010s Mount Rushmore. You know who else deserves to be on that? How about Chase Young? He was the Big Ten Male Athlete of the Year in 2020, the Bronco Nagurski Trophy Award winner in 2019. He won the Chuck Benarek Award in 2019, the Ted Hendricks Award in 2019, the Chicago Tribune Silver Football in 2019, uh, the Nagurski Woodson Defensive Player of the Year in 2019, the Smith Brown Defensive Lineman of the Year in 2019. He was a unanimous All-American in 2019. He was Big Ten All all 2010s team, which I didn't even know the Big Ten had one, but he was on it. He was first team all Big Ten in 2019 and second team all Big Ten in 2018. He's second all time in Ohio State in career sacks with 30.5. By the way, do you know who holds that record? First all time in Ohio State in career sacks. It escapes me right now, Eric. Mike Vrabel. I, well, I was thinking uh, somebody along the uh, Vrabel fickle line there, but yeah, Mike Vrabel, most sacks in a single season. Uh, he uh, uh, leads that with 16 and a half uh, in 2019. Uh, he's tied for eighth in a single season with 10 and a half sacks in 2018, and he's tied for first all time for most sacks in a single game with four. Chase Young, has, the Predator, is on this Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I agree, Eric. Uh, you know, I'm going to go back to the offensive side of the ball here. Uh, and, you know, we had a lot of great skill players in this decade. Michael Thomas, K.J. Hill, Paris Campbell, Devin Smith, Curtis Samuel, Mike Weber, 
So for me, I think it's got to come down to one of two guys, and that is Zeke Elliott or J.K. Dobbins. And while Dobbins has does have more yards, uh, he had three 1,000-yard seasons. He had a higher yards per game average. I got to go Zeke here. In his 35 games at Ohio State, Zeke had 595 carries, 3,961 yards, 43 touchdowns. He added 58 catches for 449 yards and a touchdown. 2014, he was the James E. Sullivan Award winner for the nation's top amateur athlete. He was also that year the national championship uh, game offensive MVP uh, for guiding the Buckeyes to that first national title of the playoff era. He was first team All Big Ten in 2015, as well as the Graham George Offensive Player of the Year uh, Award winner that year. He won the Amici Dane Running Back of the Year Award that year, the Chicago Tribune Silver Football Award, and was a second team All American as well. You know, following that 2015 season, LA would be drafted number four overall uh, to the Dallas Cowboys. He was a member of the 2016 All Rookie Team and has been a three time NFL Pro. But Eric, what really does it to me, or does it for me, for is, uh, Ezekiel Elliott here is, first of all, he had one of the most memorable plays in Buckeye history. And I'm talking about the 85 yards straight through the heart of the South. And second, he does have that title win. So I got to go Zeke with a slight edge over Dobbins. Completely agree with you on that one as well. That means that the, the fourth and final one here might be the only one we have debatable, but I really don't think it's a bait. And we're going back to the defense here. Back to the defensive end position, and this is the guy who started it all for us in Joey Bosa. He was the uh, CFP national champion in 2014, along with Zeke and JT Baird on that team. He was a unanimous, unanimous All-American in 2014, a consensus All-American in 2015, was the Nagurski Woodson Defensive Player of the Year in 2014. He was the two-time Smith-Brown Defensive Lineman of the Year in 2014 and 2015, and two-time first-team All-Big Ten also in 2014 and 2015, and won the Bill Willis Trophy in 2014. He's fourth all-time in career sacks with 26 and third all-time in single season sacks with 13 and a half in 2014. Give me Joey Bosa on my as my fourth guy on the Mount Rushmore of the 2010s. Chris, do you agree or you got somebody else? Well, I'll tell you, Eric, I went back and forth on this one for a long, long time uh, because I did. If there was a 4A and 4B, I, I agree with you. I believe Bosa belongs up there. But I'll tell you, I had also thought real hard about Ryan Chazier. Yeah, uh, he was he was the one I was battling with Barrett, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I can see that. But, you know, Chazier had a great career, but I was with you. I had to go with, with Joey Bosa there. There you have it. Chase Young, Joey Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott, and JT Barrett are on the Mount Rushmore of the 2010s. I hope you've enjoyed that this uh, this offseason as we've put those together the last, oh gosh, I don't know what's it been, six, seven weeks now we've, we've been doing that since the uh, 1940s. It'd be interesting uh, what we could come up with uh, doing a Mount Rushmore before the 1940s, maybe say 1939 and before, but really hard to do it after, you know, in that era. You know what would also be fun? Let's just do one route, Mount Rushmore. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I we, mean, we get, we get the whole the whole cast on here, Eric, and, and we just go at it to determine the four best. I, it's it's uh, 
You know, I think there's some. I think Archie obviously has to be on that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know what? I I would argue that he's the only one that I think would be a unanimous. Uh, I think Orlando Pace would be unanimous. Yeah, yeah, probably. I think those two would probably be the only two unanimous. Yeah. Um, but after that, yeah, it's a complete and total debate. You're right. All right, guys, here we go. Uh, we did something fun here. So we put together, Chris and I put together our, our rankings by position in the Big Ten, and I scored them one through ten based off of where Chris had them ranked and where I had them ranked. They got certain points, and we came up with our first ever – uh, OHIO podcast offensive and defensive first and second teams uh, preseason first second team all Big Ten. So let's reveal those, Chris. And uh, of course, we've we revealed them already on our social media pages. But I'm going to go over the first team all Big Ten offense first here, and I'll let you respond with anything you disagree with. Okay. Okay. At quarterback, C.J. Stroud, running back. Uh, we had two of them. We had Travion Henderson and Braylon Allen from Wisconsin. At tight end, which we didn't do the tight end position, so I, I made these myself, Chris. But I think this one's a no-brainer. It's Sam Laporta from Iowa. Uh, at wide receiver, you had Jackson Smith in the Jigba and Rakeem Jarrett from Maryland. On the offensive line, you had Paris Johnson Jr. from Ohio State, Peter Skorinski from Northwestern, Dewan Jones from Ohio State. J. Michael Schmitz from Minnesota and Ryan Hayes from that team up north. And our returner is Emeka Egbuka from Ohio State. What do you what are your thoughts, Chris? Are you sure that Egbuka isn't the uh, right tackle? Yeah, okay. Dude, Nathan Hicks, if you're listening, man, seriously. Uh yeah. but I, I'm glad that you came back and you're like, oh, it makes sense now. <laughs> yeah. I guess yeah, no. I could put an R E T. It would have made the whole graphic look weird. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I no, that I'm Eric, I got no problem with this. I think that that we're pretty much spot on with that one. Okay, let's. You want to do? Let's let's keep it with the offense to go second team offense. How about that? Okay. All right. Quarterback Aiden O'Connell from Purdue. Running backs are Blake Corum from that team up north and Muhammad Ibrahim from Minnesota. At tight end, you have Payne Durham from Purdue. Wide receivers are Jaden Reed from Michigan State and Dante Demas from Maryland. Your offensive line, Luke Whippler from Ohio State. Oh, gosh, here's that name. I'm just going to say Oluwutami from Michigan because I know that's how you pronounce his last name. I cannot pronounce his first name, Oluwutami. Zach Zenter also from that team up north. Joe Tipman from Wisconsin and Jalen Duncan from Maryland. And our kicker, which we only had one kicker. We had one returner and one kicker. We went with Noah Ruggles from Ohio State. Chris, I know you might have some beef with this one. Uh, yeah, and I'm sure you probably know where that beef is coming. Probably. Uh, as great as I think that two of these guys are, and Dante Demas and Muhammad Ibrahim, these are guys coming off a major, major injury. Um, I really believe that Ibrahim's number is going to suffer because I think he platoons initially uh, because they've got a couple other really good running backs up there in Minnesota as well. Um, Demas. If he returns to form, same as Ibrahim, I have no problem with them if, if they return to form being on this list. But I'll tell you, I also think that by the end of the season, if they aren't at that pre-injury form, you could see some young guys, especially the wide receiver like Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah, I knew uh, that you were going to go there. <laughs> you could see, you know, Penn State. You know, they have 
some pretty solid uh, receivers, although I don't think the quarterback's going to have time to get the ball to him. Uh, you know, Jaden Mayan, Mayan Williams is is the was the fifth ranked Mayan, highest Mayan one. Williams in our consensus. Is another one I was gonna I was gonna throw out there at the running back position. I mean, we have some guys that if these guys don't perform to form from day one, I think that by the end of the season we may see some different names in there. But all right, yes, no, I'm no sorry. Problem. Go ahead. No, I, just, I don't have a problem with it as it stands. I, I understand the respect given these guys the preseason not. All right, let's head over to the defense side now. Defensive lineman first, Jacob Slade from Michigan State, P.J. Mustafer from Penn State, J.T. Tuomululau from Ohio State. Again, another crazy name here. I'm just going to say A. Adabuwar from Northwestern, right? Did I do that right, Chris? Adabuwar? Okay. Linebackers, this is a heavy Iowa lean here, guys. Jack Campbell from Iowa. Seth Benson from Iowa and Nick Herbig from Wisconsin, who we could also throw on the defensive line, as we've learned. At cornerback, you got Denzel Burke from Ohio State and Jair Brown from Penn State. At safety, we went with Ronnie Hickman from Ohio State and Joey Porter Jr. from Penn State. And our first team punter is Tori Taylor from Iowa, which when we do our Iowa preview here in a little bit, that'll give you a chuckle. How many stinking times Tori Taylor punted last year for that team? Man, that was bad offense, but they got a great defense, as you can see, which was highlighted here by the linebackers in Iowa. Chris, do you have any beef with this first team all Big Ten preseason here? Well, what, one little one I noticed today was that we've got Joey Porter and Jair Brown in the wrong positions. Oh, okay. Porter's the corner, Jair Brown's the safety. But you know what? They both belong in there without a doubt. Um. The linebackers, I think that this is a place where the Big Ten is actually pretty solid this year. But you're right. We nailed it. Those are the three best linebackers in the Big Ten, I think, hands down. So, no, I think the first team, spot on. All right. Very good. I just looked it up. You're right. I did have them in the wrong spots. My bad. All right. Let's go to the second team. This is going to have a big Ohio State lean here. Defensive line, Jack Sawyer. You had Noah Shannon from Iowa, Tyleek Williams from Ohio State, and Zach Harrison sneaks in there as well. So if you're keeping track at home, that's three defensive ends on the first and second team in the entire Big Ten, all from Ohio State. So we're thinking there's going to be some rotating here. At linebacker, you got Luke Reamer from Nebraska, Curtis Jacobs from Penn State, and Jalen Graham from Purdue. At cornerback, Riley, excuse me, Riley Moss from Iowa. DJ Turner from that team up north at safety, Xavier Henderson from Michigan State, and Tanner McAllister from Ohio State, and our punter is Adam Corsack from Rutgers. Yes, Rutgers makes a visit through their punter on the first and second team. Um, interestingly enough, I do I don't let me think here real fast. I'm not sure the only team I think that is missing that didn't have one player on the first and second team here was um, Indiana and Illinois, I think, were the only two that didn't get any players on the first or second team, thanks to Adam Corsick representing Rutgers as the punter. Well, you know, I, what do you I, think? I, Illinois graduated everybody, so or yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, and Indiana is going to be so bad. I can understand it. 
Yeah, you know, you're going to make me say it, aren't you? You I know that my, my one problem on this, don't you? The Probably one Zach person, Harrison. The one, but yes, you're going to make me say it. Zach Harrison. It, he, yes, his numbers were somewhat moderately average and respectable last year. But you know what? He's just been such a disappointment, I think, over his time in Columbus that I, I don't know how much playing time he should actually see. Uh, given the lack of depth in the Big Ten at the defensive line, I'm going to go ahead and kind of forgive Harrison getting on there. But this this guy was supposed to be the next Bosa, Chase Young type, you know, edge rusher, and he just hasn't performed that level. I hope he gets the turnaround this season. But you know what? I, I that's the only person I have any exception. All right. Very good. So I hope you all enjoyed that. It'll be very interesting when the season's done, Chris, and we go back and we all pick our first and second team from these positions again. How many of these preseason predictions of ours will be right? So I have a feeling that's going to change quite a bit, is my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, uh, well, you know, I touched on a little bit, especially on that second team. I think we're going to have some movement. Yeah, I agree. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we've got our two-a-days, and the Monk, he is going to join us to give us a thorough, in-depth rundown of Maryland, and then I give you guys an in-depth rundown of Iowa. So two more teams you can check off your list on the two-a-days when we come back. The OHIO Podcast is brought to you by Mastermind. Mastermind specializes in 360-degree high-definition mobile video mapping, GIS integration, and traffic safety studies. Mastermind cares about traffic safety and keeping you safe on the roadway. Visit Mastermind at OnlineMastermind.com. I'm Jason Monk. So happy to be back with the OHIO podcast after a busy, busy travel baseball season. <laughs> um, today I will be giving you a little, little preview on Maryland football. They play at Capital One Field and it has a seating capacity of 54,000 people. It was opened in September of 1950. There are overall record is 661 wins 614 losses 43 ties the win percentage being 0.518 which is 79th overall their bowl record is 12 wins 14 losses two ties which is a 46.4 win percentage they have 11 conference titles, nine of those coming in the ACC, two from the Southern Conference. Now, to my surprise, they actually do have one national title in football coming in 1953. Their 2021 record was seven wins, six losses, which was .538 and three and six in conference with a point three three three, which was fifth in the Big Ten East. But 
that 7-6 record was Maryland's first winning season since joining the Big Ten. Um, their head coach is Mike Loxley, and his overall record is 12 wins, 18 losses, and he's 6-17 and 17 in the Big Ten. They've got some new staffers. The defensive coordinator was actually already in-house. is Coach Brian Williams. Um, he's been on staff since 2019. He started out as the outside linebackers coach, moved to a D-line coach, and in 2021 also became the co-defensive coordinator. He took over in the, the play-calling duties in the final two games of the season, and in those two games, they only allowed an average of just 13 points per game and gave up less than 300 total yards in each of those games. They brought in a highly touted new wide receivers coach in Gunter Brewer. He's considered one of the best at this position and what he does. He brings in three decades of experience and is coached three Bolitnikoff Award finalists. And these are some pretty impressive names here. Justin Blackman, Des Bryant, and Randy Moss. Not only will he be the wide receivers coach, but he will be taking over as the passing game coordinator as well. Now we will go over just the key depart or departures that Maryland has had, whether it be from the NFL draft or the transfer portal, and we'll start off a little bit with the transfer portal. They are really hurt by the loss of a pair of freshman linebackers that they had brought in last season, which were a very high profile. Um, you had five-star Terrence Lewis and four-star Brandon Jennings are both gone in the transfer. Um, also transferring was a edge rusher, Demian Robinson, and he went to Penn State. He was a consensus top 65 prospect in 2021. In the draft, their defensive back, Nick Cross, was a third round pick, number 96, by the Colts. Cross was a three-time All-Big Ten selection. In 2021, he started all 13 games at safety. He was second on the team with 66 tackles, 44 solo, and he led Maryland with three interceptions and two forced fumbles. He had three and a half tackles for loss, <clears throat> three sacks, and when at the combine, he posted the fastest 40 time of all the safeties with a 4.34. Now that's gonna be a big hit on a defense that was already struggling. So that's gonna be their big question like Ohio State. <clears throat> they also lost tight end Chigozium Aconquo. <clears throat> he was a fourth round pick at 143 and he went to the Tennessee Titans. He had 52 receptions, 447 yards, and added five touchdowns. He was a all Big Ten honorable mention. <clears throat> and those were the only two players that they had drafted. All right, now we will go to some of the incoming players that they have. Now we'll start with defense because there wasn't as many key guys to find there. 
some key returns on defense is Mo Nasili Kite. He is the returning sack, le sack leader and tackles for loss leader. Ami Fanu, a 320-pound tackle, all Big Ten honorable mention. Some other on the other side of the ball, we have transfer quarterback Billy Edwards Jr. transferring in from Wake Forest. He is a redshirt freshman. They also brought in defensive lineman Henry Chiboise from Liberty. Um, he played 24 games over four seasons. He accumulated 37 tackles, 20 of those solo. He had two sacks, one forced fumble. And in 2021, he had 18 tackles, nine solo, and two sacks. They have another defensive lineman, Quayshawn Fuller. He transferred in from Florida State. And 17 games over three seasons, he had 11 tackles. Five of those were solo. Three tackles for loss. One sack. And in his 2021 season of 11 games, he had eight tackles, three of them for loss, one sack against the Fighting Irish, and he was a four-star recruit. One of their better transfers is wide receiver Jacob Copeland coming in from the Florida Gators. In 2021, Copeland led the Gators with 41 receptions and led the team with 642 receiving yards. He averaged 15.7 yards per catch, and his longest reception of the season was 75 yards. He finished with four touchdowns on the year. <clears throat> They're also bringing in linebacker Vandarius Cowan from West Virginia. Cowan started his college career with Alabama when Mike Loxley was there. And in his 2021 20, season, he had 15 total tackles, 11 of them solo. All right, now we will go in with some of their returning players for 2022. I will start with wide receiver Dante Demas Jr. He is a standout wide receiver. And unfortunately, he suffered a season-ending knee injury at, during the fifth game of their 2021 season, which at that point, he was the leader in the Big Ten for receiving yards. They're also bringing back their other stellar wide receiver, Rakeem Jarrett. He had 62 receptions on the year, 829 yards. He had an average of 13.4. His longest reception was 60 yards, and he finished with five touchdowns. Jarrett led the Terrapins in receptions and yards, and he tied for first in touchdowns and fourth in average yards per catch. The gunslinger that will be throwing to all these good wide receivers is Talia Tugaviola. He had 328 completions off of 474 attempts, good for a percentage of 69.2. He had 3,860 yards, uh, averaged 8.1 yards per completion. His longest was 70 yards. He had 26 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, with a quarterback rating of 151.1. 
Shalia broke the Terrapin single-season passing record in 2021. He is a third-year starter coming into the 2022 season and has proven to be quite dangerous. I expect another record-breaking year from him, especially with two really good and dangerous wide receivers. And actually three, because with bringing in Copeland, he will fit well and well with them. Maryland will also have its entire starting offensive line returning, so that will be good for Viola. Go over there, Maryland's recruits a little bit here. Uh, their 2022 recruiting class overall was ranked 38th, and in the Big Ten, they finished 8th. Their composite ranking was 31st. Their first one is Jayshon Barham, a 6'3", 230-pound linebacker. He is a four-star player. His composite ranking is 0.9519, 119th in the nation, 10 at his position, and third in his state. Next, we have Andre Roy, a six-foot-six, 320-pound offensive tackle, a three-star prospect with a composite rating of 0.8763. 632 nationally, 52nd in his position, and 13th in the state. Now this is one to keep an eye on here. Uh, Raymond Brown, a 5'11", 202-pound running back. He is a four-star player um, with a 0.9121 rating. He is 240th nationally. 20th at the position and 10th in the state. But with Maryland losing their top rushing guy from last year in Fleet Davis, Brown could step in right away and become a real big time contributor at that spot. Now, lastly, we'll kind of go over the predictions and a couple things. Now, there are some questions that Eric had asked in his previews and Chris the Wildman as well. The season will be a success for Maryland if, and I think it will be successful for them if they improve on their seven and six finish from last year and win five conference games. Um, A critical game for Maryland, which they're definitely a handful because they do have a really tough schedule but I think the most critical point for them in their season is actually a three-game stretch at the start of November where they go to Wisconsin, then to Penn State, and then they have host Ohio State. That's a tough, tough three-game stretch. I don't even care if it was Alabama. That would be tough. My predictions on their wins and losses on the season Uh, Vegas Insider has them at uh, a 5.5. I think they're going to finish over that 5.5. Their first game is September 3rd, home game versus Buffalo. I have that as a win. Their second game will be at Charlotte against the 49ers. I have that as a win. Then they have a home game against SMU. I also have that as a win. 
Their fourth game will be their conference opening game, and they go on the road to the outhouse in that mitten state where they will face the mitten kittens. I was really torn by this one. I I believe that they can beat the kittens, but unfortunately, I had to put it as a loss because I just don't know about the defense for Maryland. Um, Then the next week after that, they have a home game against Sparty. I picked that as a win. Then they're at home against Purdue, which I also picked as a win. Then they follow that up with another win at Indiana. And a home win against Northwestern after that. And then here's the start of November where they have that really hard three-week stretch. Now, I do believe they will come out of this three games with one win. And I picked that win to be on the road against Wisconsin, which is going to be very tough. And then on 11-12, they go on the road against Penn State. I picked that to be a loss. Then they have their home game against the Buckeyes, which is a loss. And then they finish up their regular season at home against Rutgers. And I picked that as a win. So overall, I have them going 9-3 with a 6-3 conference record, which would be a complete flip-flop from last year. Now, is Maryland a threat to Ohio State? I have them as maybe a 30% threat to Ohio State because of the game being on the road and us not knowing what our defense is going to bring. They have the same questions on that side of the ball. It's going to be two powerhouse offenses, so it could end up being a shootout, and hopefully it don't end up as close as 2018 where we barely got out of there with that 52-51 victory. Um, But if Ohio State's defense is much improved, as I expect it to be, and I do believe it will be, then give Maryland a 15% chance. Well, it was good to be back with you guys. I hope you guys enjoy. Thank you for all your support to these podcasts. And keep calm and Buckeye on. And thank you, Jason Muck, for that uh, great preview of Maryland, the Terrapins. Chris, I'm going to let you respond first. What do you think about what Jason brought us about Maryland, and what is your prediction for this season for them? Well, I'll tell you, I think I kind of uh, foreshadowed it just a little bit um, last week when I uh, mentioned that I thought that this was a team capable of competing in the East. In fact, I actually proclaimed that they would finish second in the East, and I still believe that. Uh, You know, they have, as the monk mentioned, an extremely, extremely talented group of skill players on offense. I think the young man coming in is going to, uh, the, the young freshman at running back is going to have a pretty solid season as well. I think he will contribute. And the biggest factor being that starting five is coming back on the offensive line. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that he had it right. I mean, I think, in fact, uh, you know, he had said that he felt that this team was going to go nine and three. I feel they're going to do just a hair better than that, Eric. 
Well, then let me have it. He, where, so where's the difference at? I'll, I'll give you the rundown. Okay. I've got Maryland winning against Buffalo in week one, Charlotte in week two, uh, SMU in week three. Like the Monk, I do have them losing that team up north uh, in week four. I think they beat Sparty uh, as well as Purdue. I think they dominate Indiana and Northwestern. Uh, I do think they sneak into Madison and get the win against Wisconsin. I think they will beat Penn State. Uh, You know, know, uh, we had talked both on and off the air a little bit, uh, Eric. I think this is a team that still potentially has some struggles. Uh, I believe they will lose to Ohio State, and they will wrap up the season with a win against Rutgers. I have Maryland at 10 and 2. So before I reveal what I think of Maryland, I, I, I'm not quite as high on them as you. I'm more of where Jason's at here. But if you go back and look at what Maryland did last year, they went 3 and 6 in the Big Ten, 7 and 6 overall. And they did this with missing some of their best key players who got injured. Now, if they can example, if they can stay healthy, Maryland is better has a better roster offensively. Notice I said offensively than Penn State and Michigan State, and it maybe maybe they're knocking on the door of the team up north for second best in, in the in the Big Ten offensively. Where this team hurts is defensively. I think Maryland is going to look a lot like Ohio State did in 2018. They are going to give up a ton of points, but they are going to score a ton of points. And as a Ohio State fan, I'm telling you, the game uh, week 11 at Maryland, circle that one. That is your game. It's the game right before the, the, the game against the team up north. It's your trap game, if you want to call it that. I'm having flashbacks of 2018 it was. When it went back and forth, back and forth, just like Jason said, I have Maryland winning those first three games as well. I have them losing on the road at the team up north. I've got them beating Michigan State, Purdue, Indiana, Northwestern. I have them losing on the road at Wisconsin because I think that's just going to be a tough place to win for them. But I think they come back and I think they beat Penn State. Now, here's why I think they beat Penn State. I think by this point in the season, Penn State is just they are just struggling. At this point, I if you when we get to our Penn State previews, I'm probably going to make Kevin really mad at me. I think the Nittany Lions are going to struggle to be bowl eligible this year. Uh, I call me crazy. I think Maryland is better than Penn State. And of course, I think they're going to lose to Ohio State and then win to Rutgers. I've got them going nine and three overall, six and three in the Big Ten and finishing behind Ohio State and that team up north in the east is where I've got them. Now here's where if you're a better, okay, right now Vegas has got them at five and a half wins this year. I'm telling take you right now, take the over. Where there where there are teams where I'm saying you need to stay away with a ten, I wouldn't touch that with a ten foot pole. This one is I think a lock, dude. I think Maryland easily goes over six wins this year if they can stay healthy. And even if they don't stay healthy, they did this last year. They got seven wins last year. Take the over, man. 
Yeah. All right. All right. So you, Chris and I are both saying take the over, man. All right. We're going to jump right in now to the Iowa preview done by yours truly. So hang tight after this, and then Chris and I will respond to it. Hello, everyone. This is Buckeye Boggs from the OHIO Podcast, and today I'm previewing the Iowa Hawkeyes. Not too many teams in college football have been as consistent as Iowa. Since Kirk Ferentz took over the program in 1999, the Hawkeyes have had only four losing seasons, two of which were in his first two seasons, and the last was 10 seasons ago in 2012. Consistency, however, doesn't equal championship success. Iowa has been to Indianapolis as the West representative twice, once in 2015 and again last year. Both trips ended in disappointment for the Hawkeyes. In fact, Iowa hasn't won a conference championship since 2004. It seems that under the leadership of Kirk Ferentz, Iowa's ceiling is as West Division title once every four or five seasons. Can Ferentz finally kick down the door and win his third conference championship? Or will Iowa just end up with another disappointing finish to the season once again? If Iowa is going to do more in 2022, they will need to improve a passing attack that has been inept since Brian Ferentz, Kirk's son, has been the play caller since 2017. Iowa returns senior quarterback Spencer Petras. Outside of highly touted tight end Sam Laporta, the Hawkeyes will need to find new offensive targets, including in their running game now that rusher Tyler Goodson is off to the NFL. The Iowa defense is awesome and will keep them in most games. But unless this offense can improve, look for Iowa to take a step back this season in a West division that is improving and is completely up for grabs. The Iowa Hawkeyes are located in Iowa City. They play their home games in Kinnick Stadium, which seats 69,250 screaming Hawkeye fans. Their overall school record is 677 wins, 566 losses, and 39 ties for a winning percentage of 543. Iowa has won 13 conference championships, with their last being, like I said, in 2004. Kirk Ferentz enters his 23rd season at the helm. He has a record of 178 wins to 110 losses at Iowa, and he has an overall record in college football of 190 wins to 131 losses, if you include the three seasons he spent as the head man in Maine. Last year's overall record was 10-4, with a conference record of 7-2, which was good enough to send the Hawkeyes to Indianapolis as the Big Ten West representative. As far as last year's rankings go in the Big Ten for offense and defense, first the offense. Iowa averaged 23.4 points per game, which was 10th in the Big Ten. They also averaged 123.6 rushing yards per game, which was good enough for 11th in the Big Ten, and 180.1 passing yards per game, which was good enough for 8th in the Big Ten. That is a total of 303.7 yards per game, which was 13th in the Big Ten and 121st in college football. Again, like I said, the offense was inept. However, on the other side of the ball, the Iowa defense was awesome. They gave up an average of only 19.2 points per game, which was good enough for 5th in the Big Ten, and 114.4 rushing yards per game, which was 3rd in the conference, 
to 214.5 passing yards per game, which was sixth in the Big Ten. That's a total of 328.9 yards per game against, which was third best in the conference and 17th in college football. Iowa claims five national championships, 1921, 1922, 1956, 1958, and 1960. Their overall bowl record is 20 wins to 17 losses and one tie, which is good enough for a winning percentage of 539. Last season, Iowa lost in the Citrus Bowl to Kentucky by a score of 20 to 17. The key losses for Iowa off of last year's squad include the Remington Trophy Award winning center, Tyler Linderbaum. Tyler was an unanimous All-American and a two-time first-team All-Big Ten center who was drafted by the Baltimore Ravens in the first round of last season's NFL Draft. Running back Tyler Goodson, who was a three-year starter, rushed for 1,151 yards last year, bringing his career total in Iowa City to 2,551 rushing yards and 18 career touchdowns. Goodson went undrafted but was picked up as a free agent by the Green Bay Packers. Kicker Caleb Shudik will also no longer be with the team. He went 24 of 28 in field goal attempts last season, and he made all 36 of his PATs. Shudik is going to be competing for a starting position with the Tennessee Titans this fall. Iowa also took a significant blow in the passing attack when wide receiver Tyrone Tracy decided to enter the transfer portal. Tracy will be catching passes for Purdue this season, while Iowa will try to find targets for Peaches to throw to. Top returners for Iowa this year. On the defensive side, Jack Campbell is one of two Iowa linebackers who we selected as first-team Big Ten defensive standouts. Campbell returns to Iowa City, having led the nation in tackles with 143 in 2021. He also finished with a pair of interceptions, a forced fumble, six pass breakups, and six quarterback hurries. He's joined by fellow linebacker Seth Benson, who finished last season with 105 tackles, two sacks, an interception, and three pass breakups. Campbell and Benson make up the best linebacker du- linebacking duo in the Big Ten in 2022. Deciding to come back for his senior season is tight end Sam Laporta, who was our first team Big Ten selection at that position. He finished last season leading Iowa in both receptions with 53 and yards with 670. Australian punter Tory Taylor returns. He was ranked third in the Big Ten last season, averaging 46.1 yards per punt. He was second in all of college football last year with 80 punts. Torrey was our first team Big Ten selection at the punting position. Top recruits for Iowa coming in this season include safety Xavier Nwankba from Des Moines, Iowa. The 6'2", 200-pound safety ranked 53rd nationally, fifth at his position, and first in the state of Iowa. He shunned both Ohio State and Notre Dame in choosing to stay home with the Hawkeyes. He's joined by 6'5", 260-pound defensive lineman Aaron Graves from Gowrie, Iowa. The four-star recruit was was ranked 128th nationally, 18th at his position, and second from the state of Iowa. Both will be considered to have significant playing time as true freshmen for Iowa. Let's finish the following statements for the Hawkeyes. 
this season will be considered a success for Iowa if they can win the Big Ten West for a second straight year. The most critical games on this team's schedule are their last four games on the schedule, which include a visit to Purdue, home against Wisconsin, on the road at Minnesota, and home against Nebraska. This team's threat level to Ohio State is 25%. Iowa makes a trip to Columbus to take on the Buckeyes midseason, and Iowa's last time Iowa played Ohio State, it was a surprising win in Kinnick Stadium for the Hawkeyes. No doubt Ohio State will have revenge on their mind, and if this could be a win for Iowa, this could bolster them into winning the Big Ten West and maybe setting up a rematch with either Ohio State or that team up north if the Buckeyes were to fall again, which we don't believe will happen, by the way. My prediction for the Hawkeyes this season, they start the season at home against South Dakota State. That'll be a win. They play the their rival Iowa State in week two, again at home. I think that'll be a win. Nevada comes in for week three. That'll be a W. They go on the road for the first time this season at Rutgers. That'll be a win. They come back home to play the Mitten Kittens. I believe that team up north gets them for their first loss. They go on the road at, at Illinois. That'll be a win before a bye week and then traveling to Ohio State, which will be another L for the Hawkeyes. Northwestern will come calling after their loss to Ohio State. I believe this is a win for Iowa. They go back on the road against rival Purdue. This will be a loss. Home against Wisconsin, I think they make that a W. On the road again at Minnesota, that's going to be another L. And then home against Nebraska, that'll be a win. So if you're keeping track at home, after Iowa wins their first four games, I believe they go loss-win, 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 loss-win to finish out the season. The experts have Iowa at seven and a half games this season. I would stay away from Iowa if you're a betting man. I believe Iowa could get to eight wins, but it's going to be difficult given their schedule. I see this as a seven or eight win football team and falling just short of the Big Ten West once again. I have their final record as eight and four overall, five and four in the Big Ten. Make sure you come back next week when we'll have two more teams to preview and our two-a-days here on the OHIO podcast. Well, thank you, Eric. Let me tell you, uh, I actually agree with you quite a bit about Iowa. I think that this is a defensive powerhouse team who's going to struggle. If they're going to have any kind of uh, real success and get back to that Big Ten, title game, I think that they really are going to have to improve that passing game significantly uh, and, you know, lean a lot on their running game. (laughs) That being said, Eric, I actually agree with you quite a bit on those uh, predictions. I also have them winning it uh, against uh, South Dakota State and Iowa State. I think they beat Nevada. And Rutgers, I also think they lose at Iowa. I'm sorry, they lose to Michigan. I believe that this team beats Illinois, (coughs) loses to Ohio State, finishes or beats Northwestern, loses to Purdue. They go in and they, they beat Wisconsin. I believe they lose to Minnesota. 
and they close out the season and possibly the book on Scott Frost by winning at Nebraska. All right, so you got him at eight and four, five and four, just four, like five, I do. Exactly. Yeah, just like just like uh, I do. And I tell you, I don't know of anybody in college football had that has a harder last six games of the season than Iowa does, man. Oh, you know, well, they do have uh, Northwestern in there, so that was coming. Yeah, but you got Ohio State, Purdue, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Nebraska, and you got Ohio State, Purdue, and Minnesota all on the road. Yeah, Good that, luck with that. that. Yeah. <laughs> the schedule gonna be not kind to them. No. I So I don't think Iowa gets back to Indianapolis, man. I, I just don't. And and um, I'm with you. The, the, the Vegas says seven and a half. I wouldn't touch this thing with a 10-foot pole. I've got them at eight, eight wins, but I'm – I am not confident about that eight, those eight wins. I say stay away from Iowa. This this team is going to be somewhere around that six to eight win mark. I think Vegas has got them right on the nose at seven and a half. Uh, I would just stay away from that bet, man. Yeah, honestly, I believe Wisconsin and Nebraska could both go either way. I, I agree. I agree. Absolutely. So I'm with you. I, I, I think Iowa is going to be somewhere around uh, third – third to fourth in the in the east or excuse me in the west of uh, battling that out with minnesota purdue wisconsin and nebraska who i think are just gonna just gonna beat each other up in the, in the west this year uh if you remember iowa made it to uh indianapolis going seven and two in the big 10 last year in the west minnesota was one game behind them uh, at six and three, and then Wisconsin, I think, was at six and three. Purdue was at like five and four. Nebraska was way down there. With uh, Illinois was, I think, fourth in, in the West. But my my point being is, I think they're just going to go in there and beat one another up. And I just don't see the offensive output from Iowa to win it. I just don't. So yeah. they've got a great defense. They're going to be in every single game. Yes, I, I they're going to. I and I think Ohio State. Uh, mark it down. I think Ohio State's toughest game offensively will probably be against Iowa. Yeah, they've got some really opportunistic defensive backs. Uh, as you said, the linebackers are just all world. And, you know, they can put a little bit of pressure on the quarterback. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think uh, defensively, Ohio State's biggest challenge is Iowa. So, yeah, but the, here's the thing is their offense is so inept that I think our defense is just going to destroy them that game. Oh, I, think, I think we'll – I don't think they scored very many points and, and I don't know anybody who's going to be able to hold Ohio state under, let's say, let's say 28 points this year. So 28 points is going to beat Iowa nine times out of 10. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I I can't disagree with you. I I was thinking more of under 30 points a game, but yep. So there you have it guys. We will be back next week with two more uh, previews for all of you for our two a days. As we continue to jump into uh, the preseason here in 2022, we will also have big 10 media days to respond to. So interviews from the players and coaches at Ohio state and all, everyone in the big 10. So it would be very interesting this year to see how Jimmy Harbaugh's interview goes with the media. That's going to be a lot of fun. I just, I foresee a lot of interesting, uh, Interesting, uh, I guess, articles being written from that. 
But uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, so make sure you tune in to the Big Ten Network. I think it's Wednesday and Thursday or Tuesday and Wednesday, one of those two days. I'll be setting my DVR and, and sitting there with a bowl of popcorn in the evening and just watching that uh, throughout the remainder of the week as we prepare for next weekend's show. As always, be kind to one another. I owe someone's OH and sing Carmen, Ohio with all your heart. And until next time, OH! IO! Go Bucks. Oh, come, let's sing Ohio's praise and songs through rain while our hearts rebounding thrill. And joy which death alone can still. Summer's heat, oh, winter's cold. The seasons pass, the years will roll. Time and change will surely show how firm thy friendship, Ohio.